unprecedented U.S. deployment opposite Iran. These developments in Syria and Iran make much more sense when you look at them in the context of these statements, which were made recently by former IMF economist Patrick Clawson in a speech given for the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. The Washington Institute for Near East Policy is a highly influential neocon think tank, which publicly states that its mission is to influence the U.S. executive branch and the media. I frankly think that crisis initiation is really tough. And it's very hard for me to see how the United States uh, president can get us to war with Iran. Um, which leads me to conclude that if, in fact, compromise is not coming, that the traditional way of Amer America gets to war is what would be best for U.S. interests. Uh, some people might think that Mr. Roosevelt wanted to get us into World War II, as David mentioned. You may recall we had to wait for Pearl Harbor. Some people might think Mr. Wilson wanted to get us into World War I. You may recall he had to wait for the Lusitania episode. Some people might think that Mr. Johnson wanted to send troops to Vietnam. You may recall he had to wait for the Gulf of Tonkin episode. Uh, we didn't go to war with Spain until the USS, uh, yes. until the Maine exploded. And may I point out that Mr. Lincoln did not feel he could call out the Federal Army until Fort Sumter was attacked, which is why he ordered the commander at Fort Sumter to do exactly that thing, which the South Carolinians had said would cause an attack. So if, in fact, the Iranians aren't going to compromise, it would be best if somebody else started the war. One can combine other means of pressure with sanctions. Uh, I mentioned that explosion uh, on August 17th. Uh, we could step up the pressure. I mean, look, people, Iranian submarines periodically go down. Someday one of them might not come up. Who would know why? We can do a variety of things if we wish to increase the pressure. I'm not advocating that. But I'm just suggesting that uh, it, it, it's, this, this is not a, a either-or proposition. Of, you know, it's just sanctions has to, has to succeed or other things. We are in the game of using covert means against the Iranians. We, we could get nastier at that. In channel news, a lot of people have been asking why I disappeared for four months and didn't make any videos. Short answer is that I was working on a number of extremely involved projects, one of which is uh, content produced by activists from all across the last week, and we've been flooded with responses. We are going through those responses right now. It'll be about an hour long, so it's going to take a lot of work. If you'd like to contribute to the making of this film... When the army is swallowed, then the Mahdi is going to be attacked by another army, and this is now an army of the Quraysh, an army of the Kalb. And remember that armies are under the control of governments. The Mahdi will defeat this army. And when an army is defeated, that is the end of Saudi Arabia. Goodbye to bad rubbish. Goodbye to bad rubbish. Let it be recorded in my book tonight. Let it be recorded in your book tonight. Goodbye to bad rubbish. The most monstrous betrayal of Islam ever committed in history, committed by those who control that state. This is not Riyadh. It's the Rithi...
important thing is that when the oil boycott was imposed of Saudi Arabia, goodbye to bad rubbish. Goodbye to bad rubbish. Let it be recorded in my book tonight. Let it be recorded in your book tonight. Goodbye to bad rubbish. The most monstrous betrayal of Islam ever committed in history, committed by those who control that state. It was a secret agreement. It came in the wake of the war of 1973. Which means we have to put question marks now behind that war. Maybe there's more to that war <laughs> than we know. <laughs> King Faisal of Saudi Arabia, rahimahullah, imposed an oil boycott on the United States. Maybe someone whispered to him to do it, because they wanted him to do it. Because I believe in the sincerity of King Faisal, rahimahullah. Yes, I do. As soon as that oil boycott was imposed in the wake of the war of 1973, October 73, it was called the Yom Kippur War. Some of you may not have been born then. And the oil boycott was imposed by the Arab oil producing countries. Something happened to the price of gold. I was looking only at the value of the dollar. That's my mistake. I looked at the dollar and I saw that the dollar fell in value by 400% in a span of just one week. <laughs> this was correct analysis, but this is not the more important thing. The more important thing is that when the oil boycott was imposed, the price of oil soared from $40 an ounce, for $40 a barrel to $160 a barrel. And the Arab oil producing countries, their eyes open. Oh yes, this looks like a lot of greenbacks. Greenback is the US dollar. <laughs> that seems to have been, yeah. Yeah, that seems to have been an integral part of the plan, but after the Azan, inshallah, we'll continue. In the wake of the war of 1973, and the oil embargo, and the phenomenal rise in the price of oil from, what was it? The price of gold rose from 40 to 160. I cannot remember the, the rise in the price of oil, but it's also a phenomenal rise in the price of oil because oil was selling for four, five, six dollars a barrel.
broadcast, I feel probably in the last couple years that you understand in lieu of all the hurricane manipulation, all of the strange storms, all of the unusual hail, well, literally all hail, H-A-I-L, is breaking loose. And what I want you to understand is Dane has uh, stood against the tide. He's been labeled, you know, fake news. And by the way, anytime you tell the truth, you're considered fake news. So what we have to do tonight, and by the grace of God, we'll do it, and by Dane's vast uh, amount of research and, and basically pouring his life, his soul, and his entire being into this, is to get people to understand that geoengineering is an official policy of the U.S. government. There are 175 known patents concerning everything from Morgellons to weather modification to the HARP uh, ionospheric heaters. It's all over. And Doug, you know, you probably know this. And just to put this into perspective, when I, and Dane, I think you've heard me say this before, but 20 some years ago, when I started on talk radio, starting about geoengineering, which resulted in the book I wrote called Weather Wars and Unnatural Disasters, people could not even uh, tear themselves away from the, the uh, narrative that these were just condensation trails. So ladies and gentlemen, even official science organizations openly support the notion now that severe weather events are created by people. It is the foundational narrative underpinning global warming and climate change. So I think you would, uh, you know, when someone asked me, do you believe in man-made climate change? I said, I believe in man-made weather manipulation by all the major governments of the world and everybody's at war with each other. And so with no further ado, I want to bring Dane on. Dane, thank you for your just, uh, man, your endless energy to bring this out. Let's make it, how do I say this, as plain as uh, we can tonight for people. How serious a problem is this? Go ahead, sir. Well, it's as serious as it gets. Can you guys hear my audio okay? I'm in a remote location. You guys got uh, me Yeah, right? we're good. We're good. I, uh, everyone? Okay. Thumbs up on everyone. make sure I'm... Coming in loud and clear. Okay, uh, it's it, it's as serious as it gets. Climate engineering, mathematically speaking, Steve, you know I've said this many times. It's the greatest and most immediate threat we face, short of nuclear cataclysm. Why? Because climate engineering affects every bit of the Earth's life support systems. Every breath we take affects contamination of water, uh, soils, everything. Everything we need to survive on this planet is being thwarted by the climate engineering operations. And I'm in Lake Shasta right now, by the way, I mean Mount Shasta, excuse me, uh, taking snow sample tests off the side of Mount Shasta. And also, and this is an important aspect that I, I would like to cover tonight, guys, and I'll give the mic back to you in a moment, but chemical ice nucleation for weather modification. I'm also taking temperature readings on the side of Mount Shasta in the snow that's it's very high. It's up about 7,000 feet right now because the temperatures have been extraordinarily warm. And what's profound and what we have suspected and what we're now investigating in greater depth, a chemically ice-nucleated element, like the snows we have, these are patented processes where they, with chemical nucleating elements dispersed over cloud tops and incoming storm moisture, can should have been a liquid precipitation event, i.e. rain, into a frozen precipitation event. This is why we're getting the massive hailstones everywhere. We're getting snow at temperatures far above freezing. And we found what we thought we would find in our testing so far, that the snow temperatures themselves are far colder than they should be because it's a, it's a chemically nucleating element. We'll have much more research to do on this, but 
this is what we would have expected to find. So we have snow up on the side of Mount Shamsa with temperatures, and we have photographs now of the surface temperatures and the snow temperature, but temperatures in the surface ambient air, 45 degrees, and we have snow temperatures of 18 degrees, and the temperatures have not been that cold at that elevation. So why do we have such cold frozen precipitation, chemical nucleating elements? And this is where they're engineering cool downs. This is why, guys, you've seen radical weather whiplash lately. Have you not? Record heat to record cool down, back to record heat, so on. Well, absolutely. We're seeing it all over the world from